0: listening to the St. Mark's podcast from March 27, 2022, the fourth Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11b through 32. So today we have ourselves a masterpiece. The prodigal son is a teaching that is brilliant in every single way. And with it, we see into the genius of Jesus. We see into Jesus' sacred imagination, and he produces a story that is is beyond laudable. Any kind of comparison and adjective misses the point. Jesus tells us these parables, and this one in particular, to to teach our minds, to touch our hearts, and to move our souls, and to challenge us. And the challenge of the parable the prodigal son is the question that I hope that you will all ask yourselves, which is, how close am I to God? How much do I get it? Am I close to the kingdom? Now, we all know that Jesus did not label his parables. He didn't say, okay, tax collectors and sinners, and okay, all you Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling, I'm going to tell you the parable of the prodigal son. So these labels that we call our parables came much later when there was commentary on them. And the parable of the prodigal son is an awesome name. Problem with it is that it only deals with the first part of the parable, right? The younger son leaves out the older son and parables are not actually about sons, they're about God. So actually the father is the key portion of the whole story. Now, the, the parable in its fullness is utterly and completely shocking. This is not a nice story. It does not have a proper ending, and it is completely insulting. It challenges the religiosity of Jesus' day. It challenges our religiosity day because it keeps asking the question, "How close are you to the God, to the divine?" So, the story begins with the parable of the prodigal son. It's a story we know well. It's a classic story of sin and redemption. And the text begins, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So this is, in Jesus' day, beyond shocking. It would be inconceivable for a son to say to a father, give me the property that will belong to me this is tantamount to saying father I wish you were dead what I really want is all the property that when you're dead is going to come to me all the commentators say that in Jesus's time such a question would have brought a severe beating of the younger son Now we all know since the parable is ultimately about God, this is the rejection of God and the desire for all the gifts of God. But the drama continues. So he divided his property between them. So uh, if it was shocking that the son asked, it is more shocking that the father would preemptively divide the property between the sons. In antiquity, the oldest son got two thirds of the share and the youngest son got one third of the share. But these are not liquid assets. These are not stocks and bonds and CDs. These are landed assets. And landed assets would have to be sold. And for any of you who are following closely the disagreements about land in Israel and with the Palestinian people and their territories, you get a sense that in the Middle East, Land is not bought and sold as it is in the United States. Land and houses are handed down from generation to generation to generation. It would be inconceivable to sell your land because you would be selling out all of the future generations of your family. It would be unthinkable. The story continues. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living okay we got this one right he goes to vegas we got it we know this story he goes to vegas and he loses it all and while he's in vegas he has to get a job and the guy in vegas doesn't care that he's an orthodox jew and just says hey i got a farm i need somebody to feed the pigs go feed the pigs well we all know from the Levitical law that not only to to, uh, pious Jewish people not eat the meat of the pigs, they don't touch the pigs. And he not only is working for and with the pigs, he wants to eat the pigs' food. So this is a story we are now below unthinkable. And yet, there's more. The story says no one gave him anything no food no friends no family no home no nothing he's got nothing so as they say in 12-step language this guy has hit the bottom scripture says he came to himself can you hear the interiority of this in luke's gospel we get a lot of this in the spiritual life in the in the in the drama of the story he has come to himself He is coming home to himself so that when he left home, he left himself too. He lived an outward body life, but not an inward soul life. He lost himself. And while he comes to himself, he has the insight that even his father's hired hands are eating. And he hatches the plan. That says I will go to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me like one of your hired hands so in the younger son's spiritual journey the first movement is he bottoms out he then comes to himself and now he turns to God now we begin what I call the parable of the compassionate father scripture says, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The whole parable, the whole teaching is based in that one word, compassion. That's the story. This is a story of compassion. It says the father saw him and was filled with, filled, not with some compassion. He was filled with complete compassion. Now compassion, as you know, is a word that has passion in it and in two weeks we're going to literally have the passion, we're going to say the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Passion in its Latin root means to suffer. Compassion means to suffer with or to suffer together and compassion is different from empathy because in empathy we feel other people's feelings, we feel for them, but in compassion we feel for them and we desire to do something about it we have sympathy and sorrow by those stricken by misfortune and accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering and that is incarnate in the Father that's how the Father is reacting now while I'm talking I want you to think I want you to pause and think about how it is that you think about God the Father what comes to your mind with God the Father We're about in a bit to say the Nicene Creed, where we hear the Father is maker of heaven and earth. We know, if we've studied uh, Western culture, that traditionally in paintings, God the Father is an old white man with a white beard who's sometimes in the sky, often a distant authority figure, at least a little judgmental, and depending on what tradition you were raised in may be a lot judgmental maybe to be feared and if you're super spiritually lucky to be loved but most assuredly to be worshiped now these complicated images of God the Father persist even though Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer with Abba our Father the word Father for Abba a term of great intimacy I was joking earlier that maybe we would say our Abba who art in heaven, if we could, uh, could adopt Abba as language in our world. I mentioned this at nine o'clock and Justin overruled it. <laughs> so in Jesus's teaching, he is saying that God is compassionate and feels your pain, And wants to do something about it that's what jesus is teaching us this is not the deist view that god created the world and then let it all spin and sat back and let it all be this is not that at all and we see this in what comes next which i call the parable of the prodigal father he loves lavishly and it begins with arguably the greatest and most underappreciated image of God the Father it says he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him imagine if this were our primary image of God the Father running to us and embracing us in love I think there'd be a lot more people a lot more people interested in God if that was the image of God the Father and this is completely and utterly beyond shocking in Jesus's day. First of all, men did not run. There was no Nike and there was no Adidas, there was no gym shorts, men did not run, and certainly the authority figure of the Father, who would wear clothing a lot like I've got on, would never run, and they would never ever 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 run to their son. Never. Inconceivable. The son comes to the father now in this can you feel the father's emotion when i was working on this yesterday at the countertop and i was thinking about the father running to his lost son and i got i got all welled up every time i think of it my my mouth gets all weird right he is moved he is deeply deeply moved Many of you know the painting, Rembrandt's stunning painting of the return of the prodigal son. If you don't know, go home and pull it up on your computer. This painting is in Russia, so it's not likely that anytime soon we're gonna travel to see this painting, but prayers for a day when we can travel to see this painting. Rembrandt depicts the son on his knees before the father and he is dressed in rags. And his sandals are so worn that one of them it has, this right sandal is just simply fallen off. It's as though, it's as though the, the part that keeps it together just wore out and fell off. And the other sandal has holes in the bottoms. Now this divine embrace, which is captured by Rembrandt and many other, uh, in many other paintings, that is what I want. And I bet that's what you want. You want to be embraced by the divine. This painting, this moment is, in my mind, the greatest depiction of the phrase, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right, because the sun is in terrible, terrible shape, terrible shape. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. This is the end of the nightmare, or the daymare, or the existential mare, the loneliness mare that the sun, the aloneness mare that the sun has, and then it says, then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your sin, your, excuse me, to be called your son. But the son never gets to roll out the redemption plan. The father says, but the father said to his slaves, Quickly! The father cuts him off, boom, cuts him off, quickly. He's already moved on. This is what happens for those of you who've had. Uh, sort of mystical experiences, little m mystical experiences, and you ask the divine a question, but, but you get an answer before you get the question out. That's the, way, that's the way the divine works. And the Father has already moved on. He is not keeping score. And he never was keeping score. There is no payback. The father is not a divine accountant keeping a massive ledger of goods and bads as though they were debits and credits. And that's how I grew up. I thought the guy had this huge ledger, and every time I did something good, I was like, man, a oh man, I got a good one. And when I did something bad, I'm like, uh-oh, got to replace that bad one with a good one. That ain't happening. And this idea that the father is not keeping score is devastating to the oldest son. He cannot understand this. And it is devastating to so much of religiosity in the world, across all religions, as though God is keeping the score. Now, the father is absolutely prodigal in his loving. He lavishes this love, and he says, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The robe, the best robe, is a robe that stays in the closet. This is for the guest of honor for a, particular, for a feast of a feast. This is not worn normally. This is not worn for, for you know, uh, just a celebration. And this ring, this ring is a signet ring with the family seal on it. And when he is to get this ring, it means he is back to full sonship. These people, these people own an enormous estate. They do not sign documents. They take the ring and they smush it on the paper, right? The son gets the ring. He's fully back in, he's full son, and he gets sandals. Now we all have a lot of shoes, but in antiquity that was not the case. And to have shoes and good shoes was considered a luxury item. And he gets good shoes. He gets the gifts of this life. And the father calls for the fatted calf which signals a feast. And the father continues, Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So twice we hear the word celebrate. I'm just saying, uh, remember the, the story of the wedding at Cana of Galilee where they have a feast? And I was noting earlier, also, I didn't grow up thinking of God celebrating. I, I, just, I just missed that one when I was a kid. And in this celebrate celebration, this is the greatest moment in the Father's life. This celebration, this is it. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to the Father. And this is an incredible feel-good story. But then comes part two, which is not a feel-good story. I am proposing that the second half of the prodigal son's story be called the parable of the aggrieved, resentful, affronted, disgruntled, disconnected, dissatisfied, angry, distressed, unhappy, disturbed, hurt, pained, upset, offended, older son. (laughs) I'm super pulling for this and hoping that it will be my contribution to Christianity. Not likely. Both sons are returning home. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. This does not compute. He's working, he comes home, there's music and dancing, and what does he do? He called one of the slaves and asked him, what was going on? Can you not hear that question like, what's going on? He, the slave, replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Now, I love this, and I've got my sister in the back here. My mother used to say, when we came home, particularly, maybe we were out skiing or something like that, she'd say, ah, you're back home safe and sound. Even the slave is psyched that the younger brother's back. He's back safe and sound. Yeah, okay. Well. The fatted calf is a trigger. These people do not eat meat regularly, and they certainly do not eat the fatted calf. When they slay the fatted calf, it means that the whole village comes. This is the sign. This is the ritual food for a super feast. And I am reminded when we had lost boys in my former congregation, they were lost. I mean, they were men by that point, and, and they would have, Easter, we would have an Easter gathering in our equivalent of Morrill Hall, and I was invited as the honored guest, and I used to bring my son Phineas who was a little boy at the time, and they would cook a goat, and the goat smelled horrible, I mean like terrible, and, my, and Phineas used to walk around like this, and I'd say, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, this is an honored event, and he goes, it smells terrible. And I would have to eat all this goat because this was such an important thing to die. Oh, so much goat on Easter. It's incredible. The son does not understand they have killed the fatted calf for his loser brother. Does not, does not get it. Then he became angry and refused to go in. That's the summary of the older son. He's angry and he's refusing to play. That's, that's the older son the party at the house obviously represents the kingdom of God we think of God as the gatekeeper actually the door is wide open and you can come right in and he refuses to enter the kingdom and then his father came out and began to plead with him okay whoa so the father goes out to both sons he meets each of them where they are and he pleads with the older son again inconceivable and utterly shocking in antiquity in that world Fathers do not plead. Fathers say, sons do. No pleading, not possible, not possible at all. The father wants his son to come into the feast. There's no distinction, no judgment. He wants him to come feast. But the son says, listen, exclamation point, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. He is not angry. He is indignant, and he is now lecturing his father. Inconceivable in antiquity, unthinkable. And he says he's working like a slave. Well, I would love to know what the slaves thought of that, right? This is the older son. The property is already split. Everything there is his. He's the heir to the whole thing. If he's working hard, he is reaping the benefits of this. He is not a slave. And he says, I have never disobeyed your command. Now, for Jesus to say this, this is particularly barbed, because the Pharisees, I mean, the Pharisees, the poor Pharisees got a bad rap. They just do at every turn. The Pharisees got a bad rap. The Pharisees are trying their best. They're trying to keep all the commandments, right? He says, you know, I never broke one of these things. And he is hurt. He says, yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him! Exclamation point. So now it's his turn to break down the family. And he says, this son of yours, now he doesn't even want to be a part of it. This is not, he's not saying my brother or your son. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And he brings the accusation about the prostitutes, devoured your property with prostitutes. And then we get, exclamation point again, right? He, this guy, this guy hates his brother and he may well hate his father. Henry Nowen in his brilliant book, The Return of the Prodigal Son writes, when I listen carefully to the words which the elder son attacks the father, self-righteous, self-pitying, jealous words, I hear deeper complaint. It is the complaint that comes from a heart that feels it never received what it was due. It is the complaint expressed in countless subtle and not so subtle ways Forming the bedrock of human resentment. Well, this guy is standing on the bedrock of human resentment. The youngest son, man, that was radical rejection. That was bad boy syndrome. I'm out of here, pops, right? The oldest son is subtle. It's good boy syndrome, right? His, his rejection is maybe more pernicious. As Tim Keller, an evangelist, points out, the good boy is not a loving boy he does not love his brother he does not love his father he's rejecting his father and his father's family system uh, which he is the heir to the whole thing he is the future boss here and he is unconcerned that he is ruining his father's biggest day ever the older son is all obedience and no joy the younger son was all joy and no obedience right and The older son, he gets the guidelines, but he knows nothing of the being of God. What are we told in one, John? God is love. He knows nothing of that. He doesn't want any joy surrounding his brother. He probably doesn't want the resources used because he's going to inherit them. He probably wants his father dead too. But just as with the younger son, the father is undaunted. Then the father said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. A father does not meet anger with anger. He is tender with his son. And he says, all that mine is yours. It's true. It's all yours. I'm always here. It's all yours. What are you talking about? Then he explains. You can almost hear his voice go down. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life He was lost and has been found. He's trying to reason with his oldest son. He's seeking reconciliation. It starts off the accusation, this son of yours. The father comes back and says, This brother of yours. He's trying to put it back together. He's he is, this is an invitation to the oldest son not to be lost in his self-centered. Self-righteousness. That's what this kid is. He is self, you know, he's a man. self-centered, self-righteous. This is an invitation to love. This is an invitation to the joy of God, to celebrate with the divine. This is an invitation to compassion, to get out of himself, to care for his brother, and to care for his father. He doesn't give a hoot about his father. At the end of the story, the older brother is lost, and the younger brother is found. It's been a total reversal. And then, bam, Jesus doesn't, he ends it there's no ending. There's no conclusion. We do not know if the older son returned to the banquet. And the reason Jesus hacks off the end of it is the question is pointed to us. Who are you? Are The older son or the younger son? How close are you to walking in that door to the divine party? Do you get it? That's what Jesus is asking. Do you get it? That's for all of us to contend with, but one thing is for sure. If we want to go into that divine party, we have to imitate the Father. And to imitate the Father, it is to be loving, and it is to be compassionate, and it is not to be judgmental. That seems to be the key that allows us to walk in that door.